Welcome. Welcome. To Resting Witch Face, your one-stop haunt for all things spooky, bitchy, and more. I'm uh, Bailey Bennett. I am Grant Jacoby. Great news. We're both drinking carbonated drinks. We are. So the burps will be abundant. <laughs> and hopefully edited out because no one needs to hear that. I'll leave in like, okay, I'll, I'm going to leave in a certain number of burps and please Ooh. DM us if you think you've counted them all <laughs> and there will be a prize for the winner. I have, I have a weird question. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of gaseous noises. Yes, um, of course. I, mm-hmm. so I don't find burping like, that gross. Same. Except if you do it on command. And oh, then I, I can do it on command. And then I want to throw up. Want don't me do to it. do it? Nope, because I will throw up all <laughs> over you. Oh, you asshole. <laughs> That's the first one. We're leaving that in. Oh my God. Um. Anyway. Uh, anyway. With each passing day, we grow closer to the... Closer to God. Closer to God. Closer Closer to to hell. Witching witching time of the year. Yes, it is now. It becomes fall. I believe it is September, mid September. Yes, it is. I believe it is mid September. (laughs) I mean, when this when this episode comes out, it's it probably passed mid September. Yes, and yeah, there's that chill in the air. Honestly, Mm. like it feels. It feels right to be recording this podcast during this time of year. It does. You know, it, we as we've said before, this podcast was birthed in the fall times in in the Do we know what? Do we know? We, we need to have uh, something to do for our 1 year anniversary. We, I literally haven't hadn't thought about it for 1 second and, until nope, now. No, me neither. Um great. Well, it was the day that we went to Sleepy Hollow fittingly. Well, the the okay, we went to Sleepy Hollow and then the next day we came back and recorded our first episode. That's not true. Nope, it's not true. Nope, that's that's not, that's, that's not the narrative. That's absolutely false. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know when we were first recorded our first episode, but I can tell you that our anniversary mm-hmm. is October twenty third. So, like, basically Halloween. That's what when our first mean? episode dropped. Was it October is October twenty third. Oh my god! Wait, this is when I played it. Oh. October twenty first. Excuse me. Okay, great. Okay, good to know. Send us gifts as much as you want. Um, <sighs> yeah, I mean, I couldn't. I, I I couldn't be more thrilled for the, the leaves to change and to put pumpkins out and for all the candies. And okay, wait, Ugh, question. Yes. Candy corn pro pro. Are you? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. If it's there was sugar. any, it's... yeah, if there was any question that we were fucking soulmates, because well, you, do you like it? I love candy. Me, uh... I love candy. Corn. Okay, good. <laughs> it's just like, cr- like, like crystallized sugar in like a really yeah. nice morsel that tastes like nothing else. Yeah. What is like, what is to hate about it? I, I don't understand. I understand. Like it's a, it's a waxy texture, I guess, but I'm like, like, I don't want to eat like a whole bag of it, but like, yeah. Cause then you feel eight, terrible eight to 20, hundred. Yeah. Pieces like are eight great. to 87 <laughs> pieces per five minutes is fine. The next time we record, let's bring a bag of candy corn oh my and God. let's just eat it straight into the microphone for all the haters. To Hell enjoy. yes. <laughs> and then by the end of the episode, we'll be like bouncing off the fucking walls because again, it is <laughs> pure sugar. I mean, this podcast is eventually just going to morph into an ASMR channel. So might as well just <laughs> lean into it. With that. Let me take a sip of my seltzer so we can just, I, I want to be able to burp on command whenever yes, you want. Um, mm. The other thing that's exciting besides the fall weather is that we're going to be approaching 
whatever it's called now, Freeform, formerly known as ABC Families. 13 Nights of Halloween? Except, did you see? This year it's 31 Nights (gasps) of Halloween. They're going the whole shebang. That even more than Christmas. Yes, as if I even have cable that can really enjoy it. But I just love knowing that spooky movies are airing on TV at all times. I'm loving that. I love a good three months of the Halloween season. Um, I'm really admiring... So you know how I love theme parks and I'm, I love Disney oh and they have this um, event called Mickey's not so scary Halloween party, which happens on select nights. But I think they started it back on like August 17th or oh something. God. And I just really admire that commitment. That is serious. And there were a lot of people who, I mean, it was sold. I'm sure it was like sold out on, mm-hmm. on the first night. Cause people are ready to fucking get their Halloween on and they have a hocus pocus show. Oh my God. I mean, <laughs> yeah. The What's really great about, like you, I feel like you have September and October leading up to Halloween. Then mm-hmm. Halloween happens. Mm-hmm. It's great. Wonderful. But then you're basically at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, this is the best time of the year. And then once you're at Thanksgiving, it's it's Christmas. And then it's just three months of death. <laughs> and then the spring comes. So, I mean, we're it's basically summer. So, yeah. pool party. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what do we have to talk about this week? Do I have, have something. An, you have, you have yeah. an email to read, right? We have been receiving some great emails from listeners that I've probably failed to respond to. Um, but we did get one from a girl named Casey a, a while ago, um, August 12th. Sorry. It could be a boy named Casey. Uh, I believe it's a girl okay. based Sorry. on her Instagram. But oh, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. No, Casey. no, no. I just. But uh, so she sent us a, hey, that scared the shit out of me. So she said, okay, so I, I, I've only read this like partly through, but I'm I mean, sure it's going to Sounds on brand. Amazing. Okay. So this happened to me earlier this week and it definitely freaked me the hell out. I was in my bed at around 1.30 in the morning and had just woken up from a pretty wicked stressful nightmare. I had rolled over and was just sort of wallowing in post-nightmare wide awake anxiety. Okay. Quick that's side like, note. That's me every Yes. Night. This happened to me like three nights ago. I had a dream that my old, um, one of my teachers from high school had agreed to donate her eyes to someone. Mm-hmm. And then she was just walking around with empty uh. eye sockets. It was, it was truly like it, I woke up and I was like, people don't do that, right? That's not a thing. I I hate, I love dreaming. I think it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And like it makes night go by faster. But like, God, but, you have some fucking fucked up yeah, shit that happens I'm in your like, brain while you sleep. What's happening in there? What are you doing, bud? Uh. I don't want to think about eye sockets. Thank you. Okay. Anyway, she says <laughs> she's wallowing in the post nightmare, wide awake anxiety and misery. Mm-hmm. When one of my cats jumps up onto my bed, I felt the bed shake a little and the corner of the bed shifted down just slightly. The cat uh, I thought it was, is very tiny. After a few seconds, I can feel all four of her paws take a couple steps and then just stand there. I groaned internally because I actually don't let my cats in my room since I have a ton of plants that they like to destroy. Yes, girl. Uh, at first i thought maybe she had pushed my door open somehow but i make a deliberate point to shut it fully i wait for her to walk up to my face or jump back down or do anything at all but i feel no further movement at this point i can feel fear flooding into my mind was it some other kind of animal like a raccoon or something like what else could it be before i jump to further conclusions i decide i should at least be brave enough to roll over to look at my door it is totally shut oh no having gotten that far i shoot a glance to where i felt the movement nothing Not even my blankets were on that corner of the bed. Nothing was there that could have created that movement. 
It gets a bit creepier. The next morning, I'm telling my mom about my experience. She had mentioned she had a nightmare, which reminded me of what happened to me. The whole time, she's staring at me with this crazy look on her face. When I finish, she informs me that she had a nearly identical experience that same night, a mere half hour after I had mine. The feeling of a little pause depressing the sheets and blankets around her feet. The only not horrifying thing I can think of is that we had a crazy lightning storm earlier that night. A bolt touched down so close to my house, we could hear the neighborhood car alarms blaring after it struck. In my room, I have the ashes and last paw print of one of our deceased cats who was very close with both me and my stepdad. She was also a very tiny cat. Maybe the lightning strike just happened to stir things up and a little yodel, pronounced like yodel, had enough. Oh, <laughs> that's the cat. Okay. Yeah. Had enough energy to come pay us a visit. I don't know if this is as creepy to anyone else as it was to me. It is. Yeah, that's <laughs> horrifying. Yeah, but it definitely scared the shit out of me. I love your podcast and the stories you tell so much. And so oh. I figured I was going to tell if I was going to tell this to anyone, it would be to you guys. Oh, that's touching. Yodel. 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 Pronounced yodel. like yodel. Yeah. Well, it's it's spelled Y-O-D-A-L, but it's pronounced Y-O-D-E-L. Oh, okay. yeah. But. Wow, Casey. That is crazy. That's really that's really creepy. Yeah. I believe I've talked about my sleep paralysis story before. Mm-hmm. And so that just like brings up memories of like that. I feel like that kind of that moment of consciousness when you're coming out of sleep and especially if you're coming out of a bad dream mm-hmm. where you're still you get flooded with that anxiety mm-hmm. and like you have like, like that rational part of your brain that's like, oh, like I have no reason to be scared. Like, I know where I am. I know what's happening. Right. But then the other part of your brain that's like borderline fight or flight. Yeah. And especially something about like like feeling the like like the weight shift. I know. In the bed is like that's like the scariest part to me. But it's kind of it seems kind of nice that it was like it seems to be kind of a pleasant spirit. And yeah. if it was, I mean, if it was the spirit of your your of cat Yodel? that passed away, that is that's kind of nice to know. Coming down with a lightning strike. <laughs> yeah. Some like fucking Sailor Moon shit. Love that. Um. Well, do you want to do you want to talk about some bitches before we get into our story yeah. this week? So, I deviated out of the entertainment industry. Oh my god! For, I know it's big day. <laughs> um, for my baddest bitch of the week, and so so this was an article that I found on MercuryNews.com. Okay. Um, feel free to check it out. And as I'm sure all of you listeners know, as we've talked about this podcast before, you know we've. All I feel like been following the uh, Golden State Killer case, of course, and um, not a whole lot in terms of development there right now. But this article was uh, retweeted, and so I um, checked it out because it talks about this um, badass gal named Barbara Ray Venter, who was basically crucial in discovering the identity of the Golden State Killer. She's kind of like unsung hero, and so I'm just going to read a little excerpt of, of the article. Again, it's on mercurynews.com if you want to read the whole thing. Um, but here it is. So a key as yet untold role in connecting D'Angelo, who was the guy who was arrested, mm-hmm. to the crimes was played out by Barbara Ray Venter, who had kept quiet about her work to help solve the infamous cold case until speaking exclusively with this news organi- organization this week. Handpicked by Paul Holes, the, the retired Contra Costa district attorney inspector who had been credited... And God among men. Yeah, oh, so fucking hot. With using genealogy to catch D'Angelo, the 70-year-old Northern California resident offered critical DNA knowledge to the team of investigators leading to the manhunt. Um, her expertise proved to be invaluable, Holes said in a phone interview. 
And when she was doing it, she was volunteering her time, and it really just speaks to her as a person. Mm. Um, so she, she so it says that she she volunteers for DNAadoption.com, a nonprofit that teaches adoptees to use DNA to find their birth parents. And um, but basically, long story short, she is she was kind of one of the people that kind of made this connection. She she's a retired um, intellectual property attorney and um, genetic genealogist, and so she was just volunteering her time for this website and was able to kind of help make this connection between this DNA sample and this cold case. And apparently, she's been helping out with other cold cases. And I just think it's really yeah, that's awesome. And I think you know, obviously, there, there are people like Michelle McNamara and mm-hmm. Paul Holes that are doing did incredible, amazing work, mm-hmm. but a little bit more flashy, a little bit more in the news. And yeah. um, this gal was just like volunteering her time and. Seemed like she was a really crucial voice in, or crucial part of this investigation. And um, yeah. you can read a bit more about her. The article is called "The Woman Behind the Scenes Who Helped Capture the Golden State Killer." Um, and her, yeah, her name is Barbara Ray Venter, and um, she's she's my hero. I love that. I love when people who are just like really passionate about something, and they just they're like, you know what? I'm gonna just see if I can do this myself, mm-hmm. and just fucking kill it and it just goes to show that it really takes a village and again the last thing i want to do is be disrespectful to michelle mcnamara because she i you know her book i'll be gone in the dark is fucking incredible and i wish that she was still alive to kind of reap the benefits of the work that she did um but i do think that because that book got so much press and because the arrest was made shortly after Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people were like oh like she did it she she's she solved it when you know it's kind of like she was a very crucial part of the puzzle but Mm -hmm. she was only a part of the puzzle and so many dedicated detectives and um crime scene whatever a lot of people were helping solve the case too and a lot of them were just badass women like barbara Venter. so that's right Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. I'll, I'll read the Thank you for f- completing it with that noise. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, okay, well, I want to talk about uh, someone in the entertainment industry, but as as I've talked about multiple times on this podcast, I'm really obsessed with YouTubers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is one that you'll know. I want to talk about Colleen Ballinger. Okay. Uh, yeah. AKA Miranda Sings. Um, she's someone who I've been following since I was like probably 13 years old she's been she's like one of the originals and Mm -hmm. just like a very talented very very funny lady for those of you don't know Miranda Sings is her kind of YouTube alter ego who is her she she became famous because she 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 made this fake voice uh, tutorial uh, to teach people how to sing but she did it in the persona of Miranda who absolutely cannot sing to save her life but thinks she's amazing and is just like a very weird funny nerdy character that she's come up with and has maintained for many many years and, and Colleen herself is an amazing singer mm-hmm. so and she's just she completely built a brand out of this character and she goes on tour as this character all the time she has millions and millions of followers on youtube and she has multiple channels where she vlogs about her own personal life she got a show on netflix for two seasons called haters back off um which starred miranda and most recently she's having a baby which is really exciting um actually with her co-star from haters back off it was a whole thing um his name is eric and all of her fans were 
hypothesizing that they were together for a long time. Um, but she was married and then got divorced. She was. She was married and got divorced, which was, was also a whole thing. And a lot of people didn't really support her through that. Oh. Um, didn't? Did not. Yes. Oh. And she seems so, so happy now. Um, and she and Eric are are engaged, but kind of decided that they like this was this was it like they had mm-hmm. fi- finally found each other and wanted to have a baby so she's she's due in like a few months i think and wow. in like true miranda fashion is like f- full-time touring like around the country mm-hmm. and is like six months pregnant and oh is fucking killing it and she's just very real online and posting all about what it's like to be pregnant and all of the terrible cravings and like Every she loves like describing her medical problems Ooh. related to the pregnancy, which I also love uh, because a lot of people just don't really know all the shit that goes on when you're having a child come out of your body. Like all of your organs move around to make Ooh. room for it, and it doesn't feel that great. I wouldn't know, but like I can, I, I you know I can guess. So yeah, I I love her. I would really recommend you check her out online. Yeah, she was. I feel like one of the first like gateway celebrities mm-hmm. into YouTube. Yeah. Um, there's a really amazing video of her. I don't know if it's still up anymore or it was like a fan video, like recorded her at one of her live shows where she's singing. She starts, starts off singing Define Gravity mm-hmm. um, as Colleen yeah. and then transforms into Miranda yeah. as it goes. And it's, and it's just like amazing to hear her like such a good voice and then yeah. turn into her. She's so good at singing badly, mm-hmm. which a lot of people who are good at singing can't do. Yeah. It's very impressive. It's really good. Uh, yeah. So yeah. it's about that time, huh? I think it is. Um, Grant has, an, I don't know what Grant is doing, but he's informed me that it is a doozy. It is. So this is one, this is one I've wanted to for a while. I was hesitant to do it because it has been, as we mentioned in the past, like there's certain cases that have just been reported on like a mm-hmm. lot, but I still felt like I wanted to do more research on it. Um, and it's one that's the first time I heard it. It's like really haunted me ever since. And so I bring it to you now. This is the Ketty Cabin murders. <gasps> okay. Great. Um, so I got all of my information from, of course, Wikipedia, but then also from uh, a People magazine exclusive from 2016, as well as from... I'm going to pronounce this wrong. I think it's Plumas News. Okay. P-L-U-M-A-S. It's a county in California that is often coming off. It might be Plumas. I don't know. It's okay. Whatever. It wouldn't It wouldn't be this podcast if we were pronouncing True, it right. True, if we were pronouncing it anything correctly. All right. So come along with me to the fall of 1980 when 35-year-old Glenna Sue Sharp, um, along with her five children, left her home in Connecticut after separating from her husband, James. She decided to relocate to Northern California, where her brother Don was was living. Upon arriving there, she began renting Cabin 28 at the Ketty Resort in the rural Sierra Nevada community of, Ke- of Ketty. She lived there with her oldest um, son, 15-year-old John, her 14-year-old daughter Sheila, 12-year-old daughter Tina, and two younger sons, Rick, who was age 10, and Greg, age 5. First of all, kudos to this lady for having five children by the age of 35. Holy shit. Yeah, and being a single mom. And being a single mom. And so for for context, so this this cabin, it's not like a, like a, it's like tiny. It's like a little, like, it's almost kind of like a trailer park community. I I might be totally fucking this up. But like, from the images I looked like, it looks like Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a very small, like little cabins next to each other. 
Um, is this the one? Did BuzzFeed Unsolved do this and they yeah. went there? But the, but the cabin's the, not the there cabin, anymore? The cabin was torn down. Okay, okay, okay. Classic. Okay, I'm picturing it. I'm, I'm, you're, you're picturing I'm, it right I'm, now? I'm picturing it. Mm. I'm, yeah, I'm, ready, a, I'm ready for you to move on. Let's take a second to picture it. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, fast forward to April 11th, 1981, when around 1.30 p.m., Sue and Sheila drove from Ketty to pick up John and his friend, 16-year-old Dana Hall Wingate, from Garson Park in Quincy, California, which is about five miles away, and brought them back to Ketty. Two hours later, at approximately 3.30 p.m., John and Dana hitchhiked back to Quincy. I don't know why they need to go, like, right back where they just were, um, where they allegedly had plans to visit friends. Um, around this time, the two were seen in the city's downtown area, and a local woman named Donna Williams claimed to have picked them up in front of a tire store and given them a ride down to the road to a friend's house. That same evening, Sheila had plans to spend the night with the Seabolt family, who lived in an, in a, in an adjacent cabin. Um, while Sue remained home with her two sons, um, Rick and Greg, as well as their young friend, Justin Smart. I realize there are a lot of names mm-hmm. thrown around. So if you get confused, please ask me and I'll try to um, answer. Uh, yeah. Okay. Wait. So <laughs> how many, where, where is everyone right now? They're in two cabins next to each other. Okay. So, so basically, so there are two cabins. There's the, um, the Sharp cabin and the Seabolt cabin. And they're like right next to each other. They're about 15 feet apart. Okay. And Sheila, the daughter, the oldest daughter is in the Seabolt cabin with that family while Sue, the mom, is home with her two youngest sons, Rick and Greg, as well as their their friend, Justin. Okay, great. Where the older son, John, and his son, Dana, are at a, kind of like a nearby town, like partying, probably, mm-hmm. or like visiting friends. Okay. Um, yeah, so Sheila was departed from her home to go to the Seabolts around 8 p.m., leaving her mother alone with the younger children. Um, once she got to the Seabolt cabin, I guess her, sorry, her younger sister, Tina, was also there at the, the neighboring cabin, but then she went back home again, only 15 feet away. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're going very far right. to her cabin where her mother and her brothers were around nine 30 PM. Okay. Yeah. So approximately at 7 AM on the morning of April 12th. So the, obviously the following morning, Sheila returned home and upon entering the cabin, she came to a very grisly scene. I bet she did. She certainly did. Um, where she discovered the bodies of Sue, her mom, John, her older brother, and Dana, his friend, in the cabin's living room. Oh, God. Um, the murders were notably vicious. Two bloodied knives and one hammer were found at the scene. And one of the knives had been bent in half due to extreme f- force. Oh, my God. Like, yikes. Calm down. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, uh, blood spatter evidence from inside the house indicated that all the murders had taken place in the living room where the bodies were found. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, this was not a very large cabin. Mm-hmm. All three of the victims had been bound with adhesive tape and wire. Sue was discovered lying on her side near the living room sofa, was naked from the waist down, and was positioned most likely post-mortem in an indecent manner. Okay. Like, adding insult to injury, of Mm -hmm. course. Um, But I do not believe she had been sexually assaulted. Um, She had been, but however, she had been gagged with a blue bandana and her own panties, um, which had been secured on her face with tape. Um, in, adif- in addition to suffering stab wounds to her chest, her throat had also been slashed, and an imprint matching the butt of a Daisy 880 BB gun was found on the side of her head. Uh, John, her son, had also had his throat slashed, while Dana had mul- suffered multiple head injuries and had been manually strangled. Mm-hmm. So this was, so already this is kind of what's interesting in this case, is that so you have three murder victims in the room together, yeah. and all three have 
suffered similar injuries, but also different. Yeah. Um, so again, both uh, Sue and her son John had had their throats cut. All the victims had been stabbed and uh, beaten in the head with uh, a hammer. But the fact that Dana was manually strangled was yeah. kind of the first thing that kind of popped out as being odd, mm-hmm. odd to me. It seems very personal. Extremely. Uh, lone pools of blood on the living room floor and on the sofa pillow indicate that the boys' bodies were also moved and staged. So even though they all were killed um, in in the living room, it's it looks like evidence shows that their bodies were positioned where they where they were found. Mm-hmm. Um, also, interestingly, with Dana, his head was found resting partially on a sofa pillow. Oh, okay. So which. Some people believe indicates some sort of sign of remorse for him mm-hmm. as opposed to the other victims, especially the fact that Sue and John were killed m- much more violently, even though all three victims had blunt force trauma to the heads, um, which was later determined to have been caused by one or multiple hammers. So, yeah, that's interesting because it seems like he almost could have been the main target, Dana, but mm-hmm. he like was he was the one that didn't live in the house, right? Correct. Interesting. So we're t- we're t- yeah. Interesting. Well, and don't worry, we'll go over all okay. the theories. Um, but regardless, we're talking about major, major overkill. Mm-hmm. So th- the blood was not only found on the floor and around the victims; it was also discovered in the on the on the walls and on the bedding in the bedroom that Sheila and her sister Tina shared with their mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, blood was also found on the living room ceiling and furniture. Um, the bottoms of Sue's bare feet and the soles of one of the boy's shoes were also covered in blood, suggesting mm. that they were mobile and stepped in it at some point, oh which is horrifying. Um, blood was also discovered on both bedroom doors and outside on the handrail of the steep back stairs. Jeez. So truly, truly everywhere. Um, Plumas County Patrol Commander Rod de Crona described this crime scene by saying, um, in quote, they stabbed and pounded on everything invisible, invisible sight. The walls, the people, the furniture, everything. Oh, my God. There was blood sprayed absolutely everywhere. You knew right away we were involved with a psychopath. Oh, God. So, again, major, major fucking overkill. Um, and, unfortunately, poor poor Sheila Sharp had to walk, walk in on that. Walk in. Oh, my and, God, yeah. And find the bodies of her mother and brother. And her little sister was in the other cabin safe. Yep. Oh. I'll get to Tina. Oh, my God. Okay. So this is where things start getting kind of bizarre. So obviously horrific crime scene in the living room. Yeah. But the three younger children, the, the two sons, uh, the two sharp boys, Rick, uh, Rick and Greg, as well as their friend Justin Smart, were unharmed in an adjacent bedroom. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. So okay. initial reports stated that the three young boys had slept through the incident, but this would later be contradicted. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no fucking way. Yeah, there's a lot of... Yeah, there's okay. a lot of... Anyway, that, sorry. Keep no, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's a lot of moving pieces, so it's it gets co- kind of complicated. So obviously, upon discovering the the scene, Sheila rushed back to the Seabolt's cabin and alerting the, the parents that lived there. Um, whereupon uh, James Seabolt uh, re- went and retrieved Greg, Rick, and Justin through the bedroom window. Um, although he would later admit that he had briefly entered the cabin through the back door to see if anyone was still alive, um, thus potentially contaminating evidence in the process. Which like fucking sucks. Where it's like, yeah, what? Like what? Like what is he supposed to do? Like. It's, I mean, it sucks that, like, potentially contaminated the scene, but it's, like, if someone was still alive. Right. Um, so the three boys were safe, but it took a, 
took those at the scene at least several hours to realize the fact that youngest daughter Tina was missing. Oh, no. So she had been at the Seabolt's cabin, but had left to go home around the same time that her, about an hour and a half after her sister had arrived. Oh. Um, and it, so obviously in the chaos of finding all these bodies, it took them a while to realize that little Tina was gone. So uh, Sheila was the only one. Oh, no. Sheila and the neighbors were in the other cabin. Correct. Okay. And she slept over. She slept over. Okay. Um, neither Sheila nor the rest of the Seabolt family next door had heard any commotion during the, the hours of the crime had taken place, despite having, again, only been 15 feet away. Yeah. Which is very, very odd for such a brutal, Were they brutal... asleep? Yeah, it's it's unclear, I guess, like, when the crime exactly took place, or at least I couldn't find anything about it, because mm-hmm. some at some point between 8 p.m. the night before and 7 a.m. when the bodies were found. Okay. But um, there was a couple at an, who lived in a nearby cabin who reported walking... Um, or sorry, waking up around 1.30 a.m. to what sounded like muffled screaming, but were unable to decipher where it was coming from and eventually soon fell, fell back asleep. Okay. So potentially this this crime took place around them. Okay. When going through kind of like inventorying the, the cabin for missing items with the police, which is like what a horrible thing to have to do, yeah. um, Sheila was able to determine that Tina's jacket, shoes, as well as a shoebox containing various tools were missing. Mm. Um, however, the sharp cabin showed no indication of forced entry. The det- detectives did recover an unidentified fingerprint on the handrail on the stairs leading to the cabin's back door. The telephone had been also been left off the hook and all lights had been shut off as well as the drapes closed. Mm-hmm. So obviously law enforcement began interviewing several potential suspects and followed a number of dead end leads, including one man who had disappeared from Keddie shortly after the murders and was later found in Oregon, but he submitted a polygraph and was cleared. Uh, Marilyn Smart, who was the mother of Justin, the boy that was sleeping over in the back bedroom, would later claim that she had found a bloody jacket belonging to Tina in her basement and had turned it into the police, although no official record of this exists. Okay. And her husband, Martin Smart, also claimed that a claw hammer would, had inexplicably gone missing from his home. Sheriff Doug Thomas, who presided over the case, would later state that Martin had provided, in quote, endless clues in that case, um, in the case that seemed to throw the suspicion away from him. So he seemed a little bit too eager to uh-huh. help out with various aspects of the case. Okay. Um, in addition to interviewing the smarts, detectives interviewed numerous other locals and neighbors, and including members of the Seabolt family next door, who recalled seeing an unknown green van parked at the Sharps cabin around 9 p.m. Others also recalled noticing a brown Datsun, whatever uh-huh. that kind of car is, sure, okay. parked at the residence that evening, um, which appeared to have a flat tire. So, long story short, like, interviewed basically everyone around. Some people were a little too helpful. Some, some people noticed strange cars, but, like, still nothing nothing concrete. Perfect. hmm So, naturally, the only potential witnesses of the crime were the three boys in the back bedroom. Yeah. And I guess it mentioned initially they claimed that they, they slept through the whole ordeal. How old were they? Uh, young. Uh... They were the the two boys, the two young sons of uh, Sue Sharp were five and ten. Okay, I'm not entirely sure how old Justin Smart was. Okay, um, but in interviews, he told detectives conflicting stories the evening, mm. including that he had dreamt details of the murders, though he later claimed to have actually just he had actually witnessed them. Uh-huh. Um, in the his latter account of the events, which was actually 
obtained through hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Justin claimed to have heard unusual sounds coming from the living room while watching TV in the bedroom with Rick and Greg. Upon investigating the sounds, he witnessed Sue with two men, one with a mustache and long hair, the other clean-shaven with short hair, both wearing glasses. According to Justin, John and Dana then entered the home and began heatedly arguing with the men, resulting in a fight that spiraled into violence. Tina then entered the room, Tina's youngest daughter who was missing, then entered the room during the altercation and was taken out the cabin's back door by one of the men. Mm. Usually, like, hypnosis is kind of how you get the true stuff. Yeah, so the, 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 yeah, I think the kind of the issue with hypnosis is, you know, you have on one case, you have people that might be like, oh, that's a way of uncovering, you know, suppressed memories. But on the other hand, it's like, who's to say that this is legit? Right. Um, And especially, you know, this is a very young boy. I'm not even sure when these interviews were taking place. Mm -hmm. I think pretty relatively soon after the the crime, but still. Yeah. um, Okay. Still questionable. Uh, Based on Justin's descriptions, composite sketches of the two men were produced um, in press releases. Um, The suspects were described as being in their late 20s to early 30s. One stood between 5'11 and 6'2 with dark blonde hair, while the other was between 5'6 and 5'10 with black greased hair. And both were described as wearing gold-framed sunglasses. Like, why? (laughs) I mean, a fashion faux pas on top of everything. (laughs) Um, So... Again, naturally, the case caused a sheer amount of panic in the community because mm-hmm. the you know there was a extremely brutal, brutal killing and and there were no obvious leads, so mm-hmm. people began kind of panicking and rumors began to circulate. Right. Um, first, that it was some sort of ritualistic killing, mm-hmm. and the more common rumor was that it was somehow motivated by drugs or drug trafficking. Right. Um, however, Sheriff Doug Thomas stated in the week following the murders that no drug paraphernalia or legal drugs were found on the scene. A family acquaintance named Carla McMullen would later tell detectives that Dana Wingate had recently stolen an unknown quality quantity of LSD from local drug dealers, though she was never able to provide proof of this claim. So basically there was no there was no evidence that drugs were involved. It's just like the conclusion that everyone jumps to because it's easier than thinking that a family could just be murdered for no reason. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that it's a way of kind of, yeah, making yourself be able to sleep better at night. It's like, oh, well, they must have been involved in drugs. Right. Um, so it couldn't happen to me. Mm-hmm. And then also people think like, oh, like, again, with the brutality of the crime, that it must have been motivated by something that allows you to commit such a heinous, heinous right. crime. Um, Tina's disappearance was initially investigated by the FBI um, though it was reported on April 29th, 1981, that the FBI had backed off of the search to let local authorities um, continue their investigation. <laughs> like, great. <laughs> okay, thanks for your help. Um, they created a grid pattern search of the area covering a five-mile radius around the cabin um, and searched with police canines, but no sign of Tina was ever found. Oh. Um, approximately 4,000 additional man hours were spent working the case, um, which... Did, uh, Sheriff Thomas described as frustrating as no fruitful leads were discovered. Okay. I would just like to say, and because this comes up later, that later investigators really kind of shit on this investigation about how it was handled really, really fucking poorly. Because mm-hmm. I just have to say, if you're looking for a missing girl mm-hmm. who, and her family's been basically full, annihilated. Right. Um, 
you would think maybe more than a five mile radius would be like where you'd want to check, especially yeah. when you're in like the California like wilderness. Right. I mean, if it's like, there, the, the, yeah, because there's a reason that they killed they killed three, but they took her. Mm-hmm. So it's like it seems likely to me that they took her somewhere not within a five mile radius because what? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. So were they looking for her? Or were they looking for her body? I think they were looking for anything. Yeah. Um, which leads us to, so the case goes cold. Mm-hmm. No one knows what happened. Let's fast forward pretty much exactly three years after the murders on April 22nd, 1984. Um, oh, three years and 11 days after the murders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Woo. Um, where a cranium portion of a human skull and part of a mandible were discovered near Feather Falls, um, which is roughly 100 miles from Ketty. So, so not, 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 not five not miles. Not close. Nope. Okay. Um, near the remains, detectives also found a child's blanket, a blue nylon jacket, a pair of Levi jeans with a missing back pocket, and an empty surgical tape dispenser. The remains were confirmed by a forensic pathologist to be those of Tina Sharp in June of 1984. Mm. Shortly after announcing the discovery, the, the county, uh, sorry, before the, her body was identified, when they had just announced that they had found these bone fragments, um, the county sheriff's office received an, an anonymous call which identified the remains as belonging to Tina. However, the call was not documented in the case. Oh, yeah. Why would, so you, this, so, why would you write that down? Yeah, like not important. Okay, cool. Um, a recording of this call would not be discovered until it was found at the bottom of an evidence box in 2013. Perfect. By a deputy who was newly assigned to the case. That's great. That's definitely where you should leave that. Yeah. And like, yeah, again, like not market, not... Actually, why don't you just throw it in the trash? Yeah, basically. Cool. Um, the anonymous caller claimed that he was watching the news about the discovery at Feather Falls and said, I was wondering if they thought of the murder up in Ketty in Plumas County a couple years ago, where a 12-year-old girl was never found. Uh, oh, I wonder if they thought of that. Hmm. Mm. Again, that was not found until 2013. Throughout the 80s, a number of dis- uh, suspects were investigated and ruled out, including serial killers Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole as well as Robert Joseph Silveria Jr., who was also known as the Boxcar Killer. Never heard of him. I used to do something about that. Um, but yeah, so they were, they were all ruled out. And again, the case remained cold. However, in a 2008 documentary about the murders, Marilyn Smart, who, again, as context, was the wife of um, Martin Smart and the mother of Justin Smart, who was mm-hmm. in the back bedroom during the time of the murders, mm-hmm. And Marilyn and Martin were the two that were a little bit too eager to provide some helpful clues about the case. Interesting. So in this 2008 documentary, she claimed she suspected her husband, Martin, and his friend, John Bobidi, were responsible for the murders of Sue, John, Dana, and Tina. Marilyn claimed that on the evening of the crimes, she had left Martin and Bobidi, I don't know how to pronounce this, B-O-U-B-E-D-E. I think I feel like you're doing great. Baby um, She left them at a local bar around 11 p.m. and returned home to go to sleep. Around 2 a.m. the following day, she stated she awoke to find uh, the two men burning an unknown item in the wood stove. Oh. Additionally, she alleged that that Martin hated Johnny Sharp with a passion, and also merged that Martin was angry about Sue's um, interference in his troubled marriage to Marilyn. I mean. Yeah, it seems, you know, seems like something you could have told the police um, a little sooner, but good for you. Yeah, you waited like 20 
seven years. Um, All right. So this is kind of when this kind of narrative of Martin Smart and uh, Joe, oh, sorry, John Bobidi to be the, the prime suspects. Um, however, in with, with a very fucking flimsy motive, but regardless. Right. Um, however, also in that same 2008 documentary, Sheriff Doug Thomas told the filmmakers that he had personally interviewed Martin and confirmed that he had successfully passed a polygraph, which like doesn't, really doesn't mean anything. shit. Uh, and, Martin Smart died of cancer in June 2000, while John Bobadi, who allegedly had ties to organized crime in Chicago, died there in 1988. So it's kind of unclear. Okay. You know, it's also kind of easy to blame blame things on right. Yeah, on a dead man. And can, can you imagine committing that kind of murder because you like thought someone was meddling in your marriage? Oh yeah, I mean it's, it's a lot. Yes. Um. Yeah, and so Sheriff Doug Thomas said that um, it's very easy to say somebody's guilty when they're dead. They can't defend themselves. Um, I don't think either one of them were involved. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I have my doubts. Um, because on March 24th, 2016, a hammer matching the description of the hammer Martin claimed to have lost around the time of the murders was discovered in a local pond. Oh. Um, Plumas County Sheriff Hagwood who was 16 year old who's who, sorry who was 16 years old at the time of the murders and knew the sharp family personally stated in quote the location it was found it would have been intentionally put there it would not have been there um it would not have been accidentally misplaced like kind of an obvious statement like a hammer wouldn't be accidentally misplaced in a pond right <laughs> okay like oh fuck they always say it's in the last place you'd look they just didn't think it'd be in the bottom of the lake um in a 2016 article published by the Sacramento Bee uh, detailing the discovery of the hammer, it was also revealed that shortly after the murders, Martin had left Ketty and driven to Reno, Nevada. And from there, he sent a letter to Marilyn ruminating on personal struggles in the marriage, which he concluded with, in quotes, I've paid the price of your love, and now I've bought it with four people's lives. Oh, that seems kind of specific. Yeah. A little bit specific. Okay. Um. In a 2016 interview, Plumas County Special Investigator Mike Gamberg stated the letter was overlooked in the initial investigation and was never admitted as evidence. Right. Yeah, this is like, it's just... Cool. Really, really fucking cool. I mean, it's a lot of paperwork, so why bother? Yeah, like uh, like only four brutal murders trying to solve. Cool. Um, he later criticized the quality of the investigation, saying, in quote, you could take someone just coming out of the academy and they would have done a better job. Uh-huh. Um, Grant, I think you would have done a better. No, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure this is a fucking hard job, but like, come on. We'll 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 talk about it more in a little bit. Um, also, which uh, was seemingly overlooked, was the fact that uh, a therapist whom Martin Martin Smart had regularly visited would also allege that he admitted to the murders of Sue and Tina, but claimed I didn't have anything to do with the boys. Like I'm pretty sure that's breaking patient confidentiality by uh, telling someone that. I think you're. I think if it's murder, you're allowed. I might be making that up. I think. But either uh, way, yeah. I mean, uh, he allegedly told the therapist that Tina was killed to prevent her from identifying him, as she had witnessed the whole thing. And the therapist then told Gamberg that he was shocked to learn the investigators at the time didn't use the confession to solve the case. Okay. But also, like, I love how he's like, yeah, I I killed the mom, but then, like, my, the boys must have been somebody else, you know? So. Does he, was he saying he had an accomplice? My, so the, it's pretty much, like, confirmed that it had to have been more than one mm-hmm. person. Um, and actually, 
both Gamberg and, and Hagwood, who are the two kind of main investigators on the case, believe that possibly as many as six people were involved in some capacity or another. Wow. Because, I mean, I think I think the, the, the narrative that is kind of spun, at least I think, which makes sense, especially if, if um, yeah, regardless if it was Martin Smart or not, is that Sue was the intended victim because mm-hmm. she was one that was home. Um, John and Dana interrupted the crimes and okay. were killed because of that. Mm-hmm. And then that Tina was in the house and because she witnessed who it was, who it was. Right. But then there were also three other people in the house. But if the only person that saw them was Justin Smart mm-hmm. and his father mm-hmm. was one of the, like, he's not going to be like, yeah, right. kill my son too. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, that's my hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Um, Sheriff Greg Hagwood said in 2016 that there are many people locally who know more than they've said. And I believe we've, we've identified some of them and we know who they are and we know where they are. And I have every confidence that, that they either participated after the fact or they have firsthand information. It is obviously a worthwhile pursuit. There's not an expiration date on homicides. And to the extent that we have surviving siblings and family members, it is our fundamental obligation to them to understand who did this and why. Yeah. But obviously that was back in 2016. Um, There still has no arrests have been made. Although in April, 2018, not that long ago, um, some DNA evidence was recovered from a piece of tape that from the crime scene that matched a, allegedly a known living suspect, although no other news has been provided of who that suspect is. Oh, so okay. There, there's the, the detectives are still, still working, working the case mm. just to kind of wrap things up though. Um, I want to give you a little update on not much is known about the, the two younger sharp boys that survived. Um, but Sheila Sharp, who is um, a now 50-year-old mother of three and grandmother of two. Oh. oh I guess it was in 2016. She's 52. Whatever. Um, she gave a, a large expose to People Magazine um, two years ago. And um, these are some things that she said about, about the case. She said, there are times I think, gosh, should I go get hypnotized to see what I remember? But do I really want to remember? Mm-hmm. I want to remember the happy times. Yeah. After the slayings, Sheila, Greg, and Rick were sent out of state to live with an aunt. Um, but because the aunt had already had several children, the Sharp kids were eventually placed in foster care, first together and later apart. Aww. Sheila said, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I thought the adults would do something. After I got older, you call the sheriff's department every once in a while, and you hear no new leads, nothing's going on. However, in 2012, Sheila wrote a book with her husband, Richard Whittle, called How to Survive Your Visit to Earth. She described it as more or less a self-help book, kind of how I dealt with the issues that have happened in my life. Sheila. Sheila. Um, Furthermore, she said, I've always talked about the situation, but I rarely speak to the family about it. They, They just kind of kept it hidden. I wanted to protect my brothers from it. I didn't think it was fair that, that they would have to go through it. I didn't think it would be good. I guess it was the mother and me trying to keep them safe. Yeah. Um, In her book, Sheila wrote, my mom's character has been the subject to all manner of cruel supposition, including accusations that she was a drug addict, drug dealer, prostitute, or at the very least an unfit mother. For the record, she was none of these things. She was a kind and loving mother who was doing her very best to raise five children alone. She was dutiful in her attention to each of us. And while we lived in relative poverty, we also lived in a home of love. My mother's kindness and grace also extended beyond her own family which may have ultimately been her downfall. Oh. I think kind of insane because um, mm-hmm. meddling in the marriage thing. Yes. And it should be 
noted that uh, Sheila very much believes the narrative that Martin Smart mm-hmm. was the the perpetrator of this. It does seem like there's some compelling evidence. Yeah. Uh, she told people that Sue would have been 71 this year, about, or so back in 2016. And she said, even still today, I sit here and think, what would my life have been like with her here? I didn't have a big brother to look up to, and I lost my only sister, and we were close. I struggle with that, and I go through moments where I start crying for no, for no reason. But then, I think it's also made me stronger, because I've had to look out for my two younger brothers. They're the ones that have kept me going. To have this solved would finally give my family some closure, some answers as to why it happened and why it took so long. I don't think there really is any type of final closure in a murder case. We still have to live on with or without our loved ones. Oh. So, not really a, a satisfying conclusion to that one. That was a, a little bit of a downer, but, um, but... I think this is why this case is really fascinating to me, is because yeah. it really... I mean, it really could be anything, but mm-hmm. it's like, it feels like we're they're so close to being able to kind of solve it if all it would take is like one person to come forward with information that... Right, but it also feels like there could be so much that they don't know. Oh, yeah. Because there's so many details about it that are really confusing. Yes, and if you want to know more, this was really like just the Mm -hmm. skimming the surface. Right. I mean, we can't go into like the crazy detail we would like to slash like... You, I don't really think boring. you guys want to hear us yeah. talk for that long. Um. <laughs> but, you know, but, but, you know, I will say there were certain things I read that really created the narrative that it was drugs or, you know, that, that Sue was right. kind of a drug mule or like involved in some sort of drug trafficking and that she was killed by, um, and that her son was involved too. And that they were killed by members of some sort of cartel. And like, mm-hmm. um, I, th- I, I really believe that, the only thing that makes sense why they would not they would kill Tina and not the boys in the back room yeah. is if there was a direct connection, yeah. which seems to be Justin Smart. That does and that his sense. father was in that in that house, either directly or indirectly involved. Mm-hmm. Although considering the fact yeah, let's just talk about the fact that he has like confessed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like granted, I think the thing is that as I'm I'm having an argument with myself, is that he did it's all hearsay. Right. He confessed to a therapist. He's dead. Yeah. But also like his wife was like, yeah, just so you know, he did it. And also like he burned something questionable the night of the murder. So. Yeah. And like, here's a letter where he says that he, yeah. he killed four people. And also here's the motive. So <sighs> glad, glad we solved another one. Yeah. All in a day's work. Um, <laughs> and maybe drugs were involved. They just were involved from the other side of things where the people yeah. who committed the murders were on drugs, which is why you That's could be, entirely possible. Do some like that horrific kind of overkill. Yeah. And any, any case where there's like multiple weapons involved and like yeah. multiple manners, it just like grosses me out. Yeah. I mean, everything about this is not pleasant, not pleasant, not pleasant. But yeah, I think the other thing that like is always fascinating me is like the proximity. And we've yeah. talked about this in the yes. past um, with the, I think it was with the Amityville case Yes, where it's different when you are, you know, you're out in this like, you know, remote cabin where like, if you screamed, no one could hear you for miles. Right. It's like you were 15 feet away right. from the next house. Yeah. That's and crazy. while this probably was the middle of the night, like there, it's very bizarre to me. And especially that like, maybe the, the two younger sons know more than they've like publicly said, but the fact that, and they were very young at the time, but the fact that they were in like the next room and heard nothing. In this like very small cabin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, it's suspicious, man. Unless, you know, since there was 
at least evidence that a gun had been used to hit Sue over the head with, there's a chance that they were like threatening them. I'm sure. To keep quiet with a gun and they were, and she was at least gagged. Yeah. It's entirely possible that when you're, when you're that young or when you're any age, you're so traumatized by the experience that you block it out or, you know, whatever it may be. I'm sure that it was incredibly difficult for them to go through, but yeah, it is. It's a fascinating one. Yeah. And if any of you folks out there know more or like have like, I don't know. I, I you as is very evident. I love cold cases. Mm-hmm. I um, hate cold cases. Oh, do oh, see. I <laughs> well, I I think I love them because I hate them, and yeah. I want to know what happened. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like I I think I've, I've mentioned this before, but it's I like it when there's like some sort of explanation or like yeah. there's at least like a couple theories of like like oh like what could this have been? Yeah. No, I love the theories too, and I love to think about it and talk about it and try to figure out what happened. But after like an hour, I want somebody to tell me the answer. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I, okay. I don't. I don't have an answer for you other than like I'm pretty pretty confident that it was this guy. Um, just because I really don't. I just have a hard time believing that someone would brutally slaughter. Yeah three people, four people for no reason. Unless there is a reason out there that we don't know. If you know, if your dad killed these four people, let us know. Just send us an email or maybe like tell the police. Um, but it's, it's, it is heartening to hear though, that, that it really seems like there are a couple detectives that are still very much involved. in. um, I know one of them, I put my notes away, so I forget his name, but one of them has retired, but is still like a private investigator, like oh. specifically for that case because like he wants yeah. to see it solved. Yeah. Good so who one. knows? I mean, Golden State Killer took. Yeah. You X never know. You never know. Cold cases yeah. get solved all the time. And maybe this DNA that was recovered in April 2018 will lead to something. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's complaint time. Want to get petty? Yeah. Okay. Complaint go corner. Go for it. Uh, this is another weird personal thing for me. But a couple weeks ago, I talked about my own issues with adult acne. One of our listeners was nice enough to like message us about it. And um. her, I think her name is Nicole. And she suggested this like personalized um, skincare regime that you can kind of do online. And I got my first bottle and I honestly think it's kind of working. Okay. So I was like, wow, this is amazing. So I just want, I'm going to share another issue that I have just and maybe one of you guys will let me know how I can fix it. But, um, do you grind your teeth? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I have been grinding my teeth since I was a child, like when I sleep, mm-hmm. but it's like every night. And I, it's like, I wake up with a headache every day from it. And oh, I don't, wow. and it's, I don't even know what the fuck I'm so stressed about, but it's sometimes I will wake up with like lockjaw and, or I'll be like grinding in my sleep. And I've had a mouth guard for the past couple of years, but it fucking sucks. And I don't, there aren't really a lot of like things you can do about it. I mean, my dentist, like the mouth guard helps a little bit because you're not ruining your teeth as much, but my dentist was like, well, we can prescribe you uh, muscle relaxants mm-hmm. that you can take before bed. I was like, that seems very extreme. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a good idea. Like, I don't think I'm going to wake up in the morning, like, ready to go when I'm on a, a muscle relaxant. No. Um, also, those are highly addictive. Yeah, like, n- I, that seems it seems way too extreme. So I would love if there was, like, a more natural remedy for them. Um, I, I do use, like, lavender essential oils to try to, like, calm myself. But I, 
don't think they're really doing much for me. Um, So if you're out there and you experience these same symptoms and you know of a way to help, please let me know. And if not... I would like to know too because I also grab my teeth. Okay, let us know, guys. Let's crowdsource this shit. The last time I was at the dentist, they were like, they didn't want to, like, they basically were like, it's, it'll be like really expensive to get a full mouth guard. So they like wanted me to get like this like tiny little, like, it's almost like the size of like an eraser that you put like in between your like front teeth. Oh. Like the, like the front bottom, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I'm also gesturing. So like in the, in the front part of your mouth to Uh keep your teeth like separated. So like if you do grind, they like won't do it, but I just kind of, even that was like $300. Yeah. No, they're very, they're very expensive. And let me tell you, it's really not attractive when I have it in. And I, 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 you really do. You, I talk like with the biggest lisp. Yes. It's not cute. Multiple members of my family sleep with mouth guards, and I'm mm-hmm. I know it's inevitable, but I'm yeah. just pushing it off. Yeah, cool. Um, How about you, BB? My complaint of the week really only applies if you have a penis. Okay, I'll, do you want me to leave? Yeah. Okay. Um, get, get out of your own apartment. <laughs> um, which is that the times that you are like peeing, uh huh, at tell, a urinal. Yeah, tell me more. Mm-hmm. Or maybe in just a regular toilet. I can relate. And so, like, let me, like, paint a picture for you. Okay. So, like, if you, like... He's, un- he's pulling his dick out. Unsuns up your pants. <laughs> and then you, like, pull your underwear, like, underneath your junk so you can pee. Mm-hmm. But, like, it kind of, like, puts, like, a little, like, pressure. Okay. So then when you... So you're finished peeing, you put your dick back in your pants. Mm-hmm. But, like, you're kind of not done peeing. Okay. So, like, a little dribbles out. Yeah. And then it just is really fucking gross and annoying. And then, like, you're kind of, like, wet in the front of your pants. Oh. Even though, like, you, like, have finished peeing. I hope this is something that happens to other people and not just me. I was like, oh, we're getting specific. I can relate to the feeling of like you go to the bathroom and you think you're done peeing. And then as soon as you walk out of the bathroom, you're like, I still have to pee. Yeah. I still have to pee. It's basically that, except it's like right as it's like basically as soon Mm. as you like put it away. And then they're like, oh. And it's like a gross amount of pee. It's just more kind of like, fuck. Okay, yeah. Best no, I mean, ever. I'm glad you're airing your grievances. Thank you for le- le- letting us in on that, man. I mean, problem. I'm an adult human being. You think I would realize how to, like, if this is something that's bothering me, like, to know how to, like, circumvent it? No. I'm, nope. <laughs> you're like Shan't. a baby. Like, yeah. I, I hate when I pee myself. <laughs> um, okay. Well, on that lovely note. Be sure to rate, review, and yeah. subscribe. Um, we love hearing from you guys, so you can leave us comments on the uh like podcast app or you can send us emails at rwfpodcast at gmail.com or leave send us dms or just you know follow us on twitter and instagram at rwfpodcast something i'd just like to say is that like like well first of all we love hearing from you guys you guys have all been so great and supportive and you know and but we're we're still learning even though we've been doing this for almost a year but we're still learning you know how to improve and how to make things better and we've noticed that there have been a couple like negative reviews on the podcast app, which honestly is totally fine. Totally like, fine. We're super annoying. I uh, completely <laughs> understand. <laughs> but if, if there's something we're doing like ever, cause, cause what I'd like to say is that like all the reviews we can see are all positive, but we can see when people leave negative, like ratings, I guess I'll say negative ratings. Yeah. And if, if you're a listener out there and you're like, fuck this, I want to give them one star. Like, let us know, like what yeah. were we doing that really pissed you off so much that you thought we were the worst human beings on earth? Right. We just we just get some one star reviews sometimes, or, or all all the ones that we've gotten don't come with a review, which is you know which is fine. You might not not want to share, but 
we would love to know what you don't like about us <laughs> because it helps us improve. Yes, and and exactly. maybe, and maybe we, you know, maybe it doesn't help us improve. Maybe we'd keep doing exactly what we were doing because we want to do it that way, but it's still just nice, nice to know. To, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, or if, if you just want to send us your cool ghost stories, or if you know who committed the Keddie Cabin murders, yeah. send us, send also, us. Also, if you really hate us, us that line. much, you probably didn't make it this far in the episode, huh? Uh, yeah. You're probably not on like episode, I mean, 46, 46 or something. <laughs> Cool. Anyway, um, yeah, we're just complaining to the people who are nice to us. So, mm-hmm. thanks, guys. Bye, Bye bitches. bitches. <laughs>